This is the Life and Soul podcast with me, Emma Forbes. 2020 really was an eventful year. And amidst the madness, we've all had time to reflect on what we most appreciate in life. And although we're still surrounded by uncertainty, it's important to be reminded of what really matters. I'm going to be asking some fabulous guests what makes them tick, asking them what really gives them life and what really feeds their soul. So join me for some nuggets of wisdom, a moment to breathe, and above all, a good old chat over a virtual cup of tea. And I hope that by listening, you'll leave feeling a little brighter about the year ahead. Today, I'm thrilled to have with me Alexandra Shulman. She is, of course, the former editor-in-chief of British Vogue, the longest-serving editor in the history of the publication. She's one of the country's most often-quoted voices on fashion trends. She's worked and written columns for everybody from the Daily Telegraph to the Daily Mail. And in April 2020, mid-pandemic, her memoir, Clothes and Other Things That Matter, was published. And Alex, I'm so thrilled to chat to you today because that book is phenomenal. I was lucky enough to be sent a copy of it and it's brilliant. I absolutely love it. I thought we should start with the book firstly, because it came out in a crazy year. Yeah. And I guess you wouldn't have known that, but what I love about it, it resonated so much. Each chapter is about hats or suits and how you sort of spun it into your life with, in relation to clothes. I related to so much, the shoulder pad era, the hat, you know, about where people that wear hats. Explain a little bit more about it and how you decided to write it like that. I wanted to write a book that was, well, I wanted to write a book actually. That was really the starting <laughs> point. I left yeah. both and I thought, what am I gonna do with myself? I'd better write a book. Now you've got the time. You know, I'd written three books when I was full-time working and then suddenly there I was without a job and I couldn't think of a book to write. I started thinking about how I could write about my time at Vogue without writing an autobiography, mainly because I really don't remember very much in any detail. And also because I just left Vogue, so I'd want to spend the next year writing about folk you know that wasn't the point yeah but obviously what people would be interested in was something to do with clothes something to do with folk anyway I kind of tiptoed my way towards what it became and one of the kind of triggers for it was which is right at the beginning of the book was counting everything in the wardrobe just really for fun as an exercise to see if it gave me any ideas and I came up with 549, I think it is, pieces, which sounds like a crazy amount of things. But if you actually count every glove you've got, every bra you've got, you know, every pair of knickers, every pair of socks, <laughs> yeah. they do pile up. And so I started sort of with that. The first chapter is red shoes, which was sort of chronologically the shoes I first remembered wearing as a as a child. I'd always had this idea about how women who wore red shoes were kind of expressing something with their shoes that very often the rest of their clothes didn't show you. So you often saw people in very kind of sober dressed, soberly dressed women. And suddenly, yeah. oh my God, they've got a pair of red shoes on, you know. And so I was, yeah, so I was writing about things like that really and fitting in my life where I could. It was brilliantly done. And you talked about the red shoes. So from chapter one, I was completely captured because I was talking to my sister because I used to have such a shoe obsession. And as a child, I always wanted red shoes. There was something about having red shoes. It just was, and it wasn't because of Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz. It was more just, it was like red shoes. There was those Clark's red patent red shoes. And my sister 
was reminding me that I used to like prize my foot into them and say, no, no, they fit, even if they didn't, but yeah. walk in that way where you couldn't actually bend your foot. And I used to sleep with my shoes by my bed when I got them new because the smell and everything about them. And you're right, you what you did was really evoke memories. I genuinely, I thought it was such a genius concept because there were so many, just so many things. And as you say, you've got that incredible archive of pieces and also, I guess, really, and I, I was thinking about this before I interviewed you, I guess, really, you really were editor of Vogue in in the heyday of magazines, because it's sad to say that magazines now, I mean, I've tried to buy magazines during the lockdown, but they're thinner, they're, it's not that sort of iconic era, I guess, that it was when you were editor and you did those incredible covers, like the mirrored cover, where the person that bought it was the was the yeah. cover of Vogue. I mean, that was the coolest thing ever. And I guess magazines, you know, that's not really how it is anymore. So it's lovely that you, I guess, if you look back, you were there at a very sort of key time. Well, I think, you know, life changes and obviously COVID has had an effect on magazines, but in general, what's happened to print magazines is very sad if you're somebody like yeah. me really loves magazines. I mean, four arrived today in the post because we have subscriptions to them. And it's just so lovely. I've got them all stacked up. I'm gonna read them in the bath or in bed and they'll mm -hmm. lie around for, you know, a month, maybe two months. Uh, I tear things out of them. You know, I know I'm of a generation that loves print, but I don't really think that what's happened to magazines in terms of them turning into kind of brand names to jump off a lot of other things like um, masterclasses or video or mm. brand associations with it's a business but it's a different business nobody's really acknowledged that fact is that the job that I had to do or did and you know all of my generation of editors just was a, it was a very different job to the job that's being done now and the criteria yeah. of being able to do it was different. Well um, I think you also were you know you were let's say ahead of your time but you were very much like you know you, you I loved the fact that you never published diets you didn't publish things on cosmetic surgery like you you, you had some really good strong views they're ones that you know, I sort of feel quite passionately about, but but it was pretty amazing that you did that. And I guess all of that is, you're right, it is a different era. And I'm like you, I love the print. I have subscriptions too. And it's always the funniest thing. I, if somebody asks me what I'd like for Christmas, I always say I'd love a magazine subscription. And people go, really? I'm like, love one. I, I'm like you. I think to get in the bath with a magazine is like heaven. And I cut things out and I love it. But I guess you're right. Maybe it was a different a different generation, a different era. And I suppose that COVID, among the many things it's doing, I guess it really will change the fashion industry too and how we shop and how we fill our wardrobes and what we fill them with. And again, when I was reading your book, I was thinking, gosh, you know, all the suits I used to have or all the dressing up. And the last year, it's been all about like what pair of sweatpants and and I was thrilled because actually you haven't done that you did you have remained dressed up in COVID which I am thrilled about but do you think it's going to change everything? The book's being published in paperback thankfully in June and because it was published 
you know, when literally just after lockdown in the UK had started, you know, all the kind of events around it were cancelled, the bookshops were closed and everything. So I'm very pleased that it's it's going to have another life, you know, this year. But I thought that I was a little bit concerned about the book having been written before any of us had heard the word COVID-19. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We we're all experts. We didn't even know what a coronavirus was before. So I've done a, a, a new preface to it. And I was thinking in it, because the whole point of the book really is about what clothes mean to us and how we feel about what we yeah. wear. And so I was thinking a lot about the differences that this period has made to the way that we dress. And ultimately what I came down to is actually thinking, you know, the thing is that we, maybe we all started off thinking it was okay. We didn't really care. Actually, hey, great, it's the summer. We don't really care. We're in t-shirts, yeah. trackies and flip-flops and we don't have to commute and we don't have to get dressed up. But actually we still had to kind of deal with ourselves, even if we weren't dealing with anybody else. And I found, and I think quite a lot of people found that after the initial sort of pleasure in slobbing out, actually yes. one felt like you do need to kind of pull yourself together. You do need to find occasions when it's worth getting dressed, not dressed up in a party dress, but you know, bothering yeah. a bit about what you're gonna wear and, and everything. I was quite interested in, in that. Yeah, I think you're right. And actually, last night I was watching the Golden Globes because I'm in America, so I could watch that red carpet bit live. And I used to love watching those red carpet events. That was like a real fashion moment, you know, and it was all about that more than anything else. I love that bit. And it was so extraordinary watching how they did it, because actually there was really nobody on the red carpet and they were sort of cutting to little clips of people who'd done little Instagrams of themselves getting dressed up and and it was and it was different and I sat there watching it thinking I was actually filled with a bit of sadness but excitement at the same time because I thought oh it was so lovely to see people dressed up I was so longing a bit like you I was longing to see glamour I was longing to see somebody look incredible and see these beautiful kind of you know Oscar de Laurenta creations or whatever they were and at the same time it was so sad because there ultimately were people just sitting down so you saw the top 10 inches of this <laughs> gown that like Dior had spent you know <laughs> forever on and I thought oh my god it's you know I, I don't know quite how it's going to transpire but I did see in people I guess the longing to to get dressed up again and I think you're right I mean in the beginning it was lovely there was a real freedom to it there's a real like less is more did we need all of this and now most of my conversations with friends are like desperate to go into a shop, desperate to try something on, desperate to kind of have an occasion to wear something to. So maybe that will come, come back, but maybe we've sort of learned that we don't need as much. I mean, I know I did a massive wardrobe clear out thinking what was, what was all of that about, but equally I'll probably regret that in about three months. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I loved, I was reading about the fact that the first thing you did was um, send out for so, buy online florist bath oil. And I loved the fact that you did something incredibly indulgent to, to begin with. And I think, again, that's sort of indicative of, of how we all reacted to this weird time of needing those home comforts. As a writer, I guess you, you, you're quite used to being writing on your own and being on your own like that. But did you find it a massive 
adaptation to get used to or were you enjoying it? You know, in the UK, we've been in and out of lockdown. So we had that initial lockdown, which was quite frightening. I mean, although we had this incredible spring and summer weather like you've never, never really seen it and this odd suddenly this odd world where there were no planes and you could hear hear the birds and there was no traffic and all of that. There was something kind of dystopian and strange. And then everything actually opened up again. And, you know, we went to France and we went to Greece and then everything closed down again and then it opened up again and then it closed down again. So with each time that it closed down, one kind of felt a bit more like, oh, well, hey-ho, here we go again. I've been quite sybaritic, so I have oddly bought a lot, which is really weird, and I I can't explain this, but I've bought a lot of kind of cosmetics, primers and foundation and radiance-enhancing glosses and things like that. I mean, God knows why nobody's seeing me. Um, I have no idea why that's because as somebody actually who, who spent very little on makeup or anything for most of her life, I don't know why I've decided at this point in my life that I'm really gonna play around with it, but I have things like, yeah, bath essences, lots of, um, you know, cooking at home. I've been cooking every night, yeah. spending a fortune on food ingredients and, you know, all of that kind of thing. Yeah, and in the garden, you know, quite a lot of money originally in the garden reopened but I'm a pretty gregarious person and I find it really very boring not having a social life I'm absolutely not one of those person who said hey this is you know actually suits me down to the ground I can go and get into bed at eight o'clock with Netflix and do that every night don't have to see people I am longing to have people to dinner I'm longing for a party I'm longing to go to a restaurant with a gang of friends I I find, I don't find it difficult to sit here on my own and work, but in the evening, I want to see other people. You know, I'm my bubble of family. We've all kind of had enough of each other. No, I, I'm so with you. And I think anybody that's ever worked like you did, you know, in teams of people or, or had that kind of life. I mean, I'm the same. I mean, I was, sort of, I was sort of okay about it in the beginning, but now we're all so bored of each other. I'm desperate to see people. I'm desperate to, I've never been more homesick because of course travel was a huge part of my life and now that's not. So I think everybody maybe has reached that, that level. And I guess the online shopping, I'm hoping that these sort of statistics are going to come out afterwards where people go, oh, the beauty industry must have gone through the roof. I mean, I bought, I'm the same as you. I don't really wear much makeup, but I've bought more kind of interesting things. Like I'll see things, I'll go, oh, maybe I do need that that (laughs) primer or that, you know, I bought like a foot mask. I mean, I've never been somebody that would even think I'd have time to put a foot mask on my foot, but I found myself like tying these sort of bags with experience. on my feet and texting my niece and you know going what about this what about that I mean it's it it has brought out different sides to all of us I guess but I think you're right in that I think we will all come out of it having done all of that but but desperate to get back to some kind of normality and seeing other people because it just is it's an interesting way to live I think that we mentioned before we started recording that, you know, that probably there will be two two ways of approaching 
sort of normality. One will be everyone just saying, or the people who say, you know, hey, I want to get out there. I'm longing to do everything. And they will go to every exhibition that's open, cinema, restaurants. Uh, this is obviously if they've managed to stay employed. And then there'll be other people who I think will be very wary. One, they'll be sort of, not because necessarily they think that they're going to get ill, but because they've just become a bit institutionalized. Mm. Uh, suddenly, they some people have had a year of hardly going out or hardly seeing anybody or just sort of seeing maybe their, or communicating with maybe their six closest friends and their family. And they kind of thought, well, actually, do I really need to, to have more people in my life? Maybe I don't. Yeah. And that's going to take, I think, a couple of years to actually know what what is going to happen, really, to the world. No, I agree. And I think, you know, whilst I'm desperate to, to get out and be socialised, I'm probably one of those people that is completely institutionalised. I've, I've really lived in a very small bubble. And it, it's quite funny. It's been quite a divider as well with friends because I had one friend that, that lives near me and she did socialise much more than me and, you know, all the rest of it. And I basically was being very English and polite along a lot of the way, kind of going, it's so sweet, but I probably won't come this weekend. And finally, I was just honest. And I said, actually, I'm too scared to come. I don't want to get. And she was like, that's fine. See you next summer. <laughs> and I thought, oh my God, this is like, it's quite a sort of, it's a bit like talking about politics. You know what I mean? There's such a divide of people of how they dealt with it right. and how they did it. And I think that it will be an interesting thing. And I think it will be interesting with shops and things and, as you say, if people are still employed. And I think it will change how people, bearing in mind, you know, thinking about your book, and as I say, when I was reading it and seeing all the different things, and you were talking about hats and, and how you're not a hat person, but other people are. And I thought, well, everybody associates hats with wearing them to weddings. So then you're like, weddings, when will they be 15 people or 30 people or 150 people? Or will they be in church? Because you can't have, you know, it's all those things that are related to that. And I wondered when you were doing your wardrobe out did you also do a massive clean or do you archive it all everything's just stuffed into cupboards under beds or on top <laughs> of wardrobes or whatever and they're not those pieces they're not in the main like museum pieces they were relatively live in that they were things that I had got I mean over the years god knows I gave away so many clothes I, which I wish I hadn't yeah, and don't fact, we all wish that? Yeah. When you were saying about, you know, having done a tidy out and you were going to regret it, one of the things that I realized from doing the book is I really don't want to get rid of clothes because I used those clothes so much to trigger ideas yeah. and they're so much a part of my life that actually, if anything, I've, I've begun to hoard more. You know, over my career, I had a few bits that were like sort of iconic pieces and I gave them away and I so regret it, particularly with my daughter now, who's sort of, you know, going into fashion herself. And she's just like, why did you get rid of that? I'm like, I don't know. So you're right. They they all evoke a memory, I guess. And they all have some sort of association with them to something or you remember where you were when you wore it or something like that. Exactly. Well, the other thing I was going to say, though, is that is that I do think in lockdown there's been this sort of fashion shift when it comes to all the 
fashion shows. I'm still not sure how all these magazines are photographing things when they kept saying they were doing them over Zoom. I'm still like, how does that happen? Because I've seen some pretty amazing photographs. People are photographing them sort of long distance or not over Zoom, but like over their phones, but with people. I mean, I think people have been very creative. You were able at various periods to do a COVID compliant shoot. I mean, you know, most people have been able to have team, a, a small team or people have done. So some of the shoots at the beginning were like a lot of the photographers were photographing their girlfriends because their girlfriends were models. And so they yeah. just sent the clothes. But as time's gone by, I think people have managed to have like one or two people there. And- but what about the fashion shows? Because there was, I think, was it... Um- was it Moschino? Who did the, all the little puppets? That was so genius, where they dressed all the little puppets for the show and, yeah. and did different, like, digital live shows. Because, and I wondered whether that will... Carry on. You know, post all of this. I, yeah, I wondered if that would carry on, because I guess for those sort of big fashion brands, maybe it was... It'd be interesting to see if it was just as beneficial doing it in that digital way as it was to have the chaos of the live fashion show and the front row and all of that. I, d- I don't know. What's your view well, on I, that? I, I'm absolutely sure I do know that, that <laughs> um, you know, for the big brands, uh, this does not, this is not good for them. They, I'm, I'm sure they will be back to wanting to do live shows with an audience and digital unquestionably. I mean, you can, you can show people your collection literally but if showing people literally your collection was the purpose of the show, we wouldn't have shows. It's not that, it's generating publicity. It's sort of mm. having a sort of moment where all the kind of concerned parties, the press, the buyers, the influencers yeah. are all in the room at the same time looking at what you've done. And that is the way that, you know, the souffle rises. It is yeah. not different people sitting there looking, you know, like we are on Zoom. Yeah. So I reckon that the big brands will be back to doing shows as soon as they possibly can. What I think will have changed is, you know, everybody's kind of awareness of what can be done digitally. And with the, you know, the emphasis on, sustainability and you know the obviously the the craziness of of the fashion show schedule where you know a thousand people hurtle around the world for a month twice a year um i think there will be changes but i don't think the big brands are going to really want it that much what they would like is to have their moment in the sun and some of the little people to move out the way. So there isn't taking up so much time. That's what I yeah. think. No, I think you're probably right. And I guess really fashion was so stemmed from those iconic shows where that's what generated the publicity or the person in the front row where you're going to go, oh, this is happening. But, you know, in, um, in New York, for instance, New York Fashion Week, I can't remember exactly who, but a number of the big designers did not do their shows in Fashion Week. They're going to do them at separate times. So if you if you've got enough of a budget, um, yeah, you can do it. But yeah. I think everything's going to change like that. You know, I do think the way that 
the way that we shop, the literally the retail spaces are going to change. For instance, I mean, in the UK, things like, um, you know, the big department stores that are going under, you know, you've got those huge buildings and it could be an exciting opportunity to put something different into those spaces. Yeah, I think so too. And I thought some shops have been, you know, they've been clever in the way they've space things better or they've got the whole sort of you know and I personally I think it's kind of great the ones that you walk in they've got an amazing hand sanitizer and it's all done rather beautifully you know I went some some shop the other day and they've got you know the, the hand sanitizer was in like this little linen bag with a bow and they were like please take this and it's like, I was like oh this is quite sort of civilized and nice maybe it's a maybe there's sort of something good to come out of it that way and maybe it'll be shopping in a in a different way. And as you say, I think it's made a lot of smaller brands, you know, think about being ethical and up, upcycling. But I was interested to know your view on things like social media, because I guess when you were editor of Vogue, that whole influencer thing on, I don't mean to call it a thing, but the whole influencer vibe on social media of people that are, you know, plucked out as being somebody that do that unveiling of sort of boxes and going, oh, you know, thank you, Alex, you've sent me this and I've got this and what about... It, it it's such an interesting concept to me. And, and I, I feel like that has changed in COVID because I feel like people sort of couldn't really justify doing as much of that in the influencer world unless it had a bigger story to it. So it was a bit like you couldn't just go, oh, here's my Chanel bag. Thank you so much. Because you couldn't do that sort of three months into a lockdown. It was like, mm, that doesn't sit well with people. But you could promote the small business or go, look, I found this ethical brand or, you know, let's do a small business shout out. How do you feel about social media on that front? I don't follow that many influencers. There are a few that I do. And I think the good ones found a way around it, that what they did, whether it was their Instagram or video or whatever, was kind of interesting enough or done well enough that somehow it was okay. I think the issue with with social, well, social media, that's not going to go away. Social media is just a way that everybody can have a voice. I suspect that, again, um, there'll be a thinning out after what's happened. The good influencers will remain powerful and, and have a voice and probably, I mean, one knows it oneself. If you, if you trust somebody their opinion and you kind yeah. of relate to them in some way you sort of do believe you know that's some of my makeup buys I've seen somebody say something and yeah. I you know and I rate them so I say oh yeah maybe I will buy that 65 pound face moisturizer you know I've got eight on my dressing table <laughs> yeah that new one I don't think that's going to go away but I suspect there might again be a slimming down and a thinning out yeah. of it people who've been shown to be real leaders and have followers but you know the other day uh, just on that I was quite interested I watched a um I was watching a Victoria Beckham makeup video or something and she had a product that she used or she was saying I always use this product uh, and it wasn't her own brand and I was sort of interested in that and I thought oh, I'm interested you know that she's got another brand and then I happened to see an Instagram post from this other brand came through, you know, a sponsored post. And then I saw that actually Victoria Beckham works with them, you know, that yeah. she 
So I was kind of really, you know, I felt a bit cheated by that because I thought she was really promoting this stuff because she yeah. thought it was good. And then I realised that she's got a deal with Yes, it. that's what I mean, is it's a very tough line because my sister rang me the other day and she said why on Instagram every time you talk about a product you say this is not an ad she said it's like you've got sort of verbal diarrhea you keep saying this is not an ad this is not an no, ad and I said, because I said I do it because of that very reason because I'm like you I'll see somebody using something and I'll think oh my god that's amazing and then when you see that it's sponsored by it's a it is a fine line with influencers because you're like do you genuinely like this or have you is there a sideline? And that doesn't mean that they don't genuinely like it as well, but it does make you feel a bit cheated and it does make you feel a bit promoted to. That's the bit of social media that I find interesting. And, it, and it's been interesting to me when I've been doing this podcast that out of doing this podcast, more people have sort of approached me on Instagram, you know, going, oh, do you want to do this? And and I'm always a bit like, mm, no, because I, I it has to be something that I properly believe in otherwise I feel like I'd be cheating somebody when I talk to them but it does make me have to say this is not an ad about a thousand times on every story no, you're, <laughs> you're, you're meant to and um if you get sent things like sometimes people very kindly send things to me and you know if they email me in advance and say would you like it, or Instagram or whatever would you like it or you know I'll always get back to them and say look I can't guarantee that I will be able to promote it anyway. no up to you if you want to send it it's one thing if you're paid to promote something yeah. and then I think that needs to be made very clear and and that's absolutely that's fine but it is that thing where I think people do deserve to know whether you've just whether you put it up because you genuinely like it or whether it's and I think like that goes back to magazines as well because there's something to me about things physically being in print it's like you know when I used you know when I used to buy certain magazines for certain things like Vogue you'd buy because I would want to see the latest fashion and the latest kind of trends and things like that but I would sort of trust it because it was in Vogue magazine it was physically in print in front of me I guess social media is a bit more loosey-goosey but that's well, why I loved but, print well but, but but Emma you could argue it you know just devil's advocate here you know you can argue that magazines obviously survived in advertising and products yeah. you know we would always feature the, uh, the work of our advertisers. So it's a cat's cradle, really. I was going to say, it's just, it's a difficult thing to navigate. And it's it's one of those things where I sort of, I love it and I hate it. Like I, I love doing social media, but on the other hand, it, it's, it's sort of, it's getting that balance right. But I'm like you, in lockdown and in COVID, I have bought more products off Instagram. <laughs> I have completely and utterly fallen for anybody going, particularly if it was something that was like, anti-aging or you yeah, know yeah. refresh your skin I was like yeah I'm down <laughs> you know press that click apple pay I was like boom let's get that I'm so thrilled I was thinking today that I last time I interviewed you was when you just left Vogue and you were thinking about what book to write I think it's such a brilliant way of doing a memoir I I, I really do I think it's so clever and and I I really loved reading it and I'm I'm so thrilled you've done it. And I'm sure you've got another book in you there somewhere too down the line. But I also think it was great timing because I think, it, you know, actually when I read it, I was like, oh, this is just the kind of book I've been looking for at the outside of this. I wanted to read about clothes again. Yeah, I was thirsty I think, for I it. Think, um, what's been what was nice about it and I hope will be when the paperback comes out too, um, is that feeling that you can dip into it. 
you know, yeah. because it's short chapters. So everyone's having a bit of a concentration problem. Yes. And I, that's not going to just go away. So I think. Yeah, that- it is. It's exactly a kind of cup of coffee, dip into it have yeah. a smile it evokes memories to the reader as well as it evoking yours yeah. that you talk about and that's what I loved and and I probably didn't verbalize that well enough in the beginning but I thought I loved it because it was a bit like when you did the Vogue cover with the mirror I thought oh that's you your that. memory and then it reminded me of my red shoes which made me have a conversation with my sister which made us laugh about the fact that they never fitted me and I thought oh it's a rather lovely that's a really nice feeling at the back of a book. So I really congratulate you on that. Thank you. I've loved it. And I have to ask you my last two questions, which are the things which, first of all, what gives you life? Um, My other people, my friends and family, definitely. I mean, you know, I find them incredibly sustaining. And when things are difficult, it's them that I turn to, you know, definitely. And what about what feeds your soul? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a tricky one. I, I play music all the time and it's something that I always have done. And, you know, not, not me playing it, but listening to No, it. listening to music. Yeah, and it's one of my great kind of, you know, I spent hours now on Spotify sort of going down rabbit holes looking for, you know, new artists. And I run to music and I play music, not when I'm writing, but when I'm doing kind of, all that boring yeah. admin and everything. And I, and I think it's, um, I think if anything feeds my soul, it probably is music. It's funny actually, because quite a few, actually quite a few people have said that, that it really has fed their soul and particularly during lockdown, because again, it evokes memories. It gives you, puts you in a certain place. It reminds yeah. one of a happier time or it can be mellow. I tried to listen to a lot of like wave music and stuff like that during lockdown. It didn't really work for me on that front. <laughs> I couldn't, be a good bit of 90s or 80s music to get me cheered up but Alex I've loved chatting to you today thank you so so much your book your memoir clothes and other things that matter will direct everybody to get that and you know let's chat again thank you Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. And also, if you've enjoyed this episode, do leave a five-star review and you can find out more by going to buyemma.co.